This is Dagon123, and welcome to the all-new TenchiCast. Hello everyone, and welcome to the next exciting episode of TenchiCast, presented by TenchiForum.com. With me today, I have a wonderful cast with me, Pi. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your cabin is? Snowy. Nyapasu. Non. Because forgiveness for someone like you can never be an option. And Ahmed. I am the big fish. So, from this point going forward, we're going to change the opening format a little bit for TenchiCast. In the past, many subjects were pretty well known to Tenchi fans, OVA 1 and 2 and Universe and so on. But as time has gone on, we have gone into much more esoteric subjects. What that means is, before we get into talking in depth about the subject, I'm going to do a little primer for those who may not know the subject or want to get up to speed on what we're talking about. With that being said, we're going to talk about the American Tenchi comics. Yes, that's right. Tenchi Muyo had officially sanctioned American-style comics made for their juggernaut flagship series, Tenchi Muyo. Pioneer, always wanting to be just that, Pioneers, looked at every possible avenue to push Tenchi into. And in 1997, they decided to go into the world of U.S. comics. Starting in March of 1997, with Tenchi Muyo issue number one, Tenchi fans were introduced to yet another iteration of Tenchi Muyo, with its own unique and quirky characters, but this time coming from the minds of writer Jose Calderon and artist Matt Lunsford. That's not to say there was no quality control, though. Tenchi in Tokyo's producer Hiroe Tsukamoto was the editor, and Pioneer self-published the work. Though it only ran for six issues, and ended in November of that same year, the Pioneer comics have become an overlooked but still remembered part of old Tenchi history. Do you feel that the Pioneer Tenchi comics stay true to what Tenchi Muyo is? I think so, because it kind of goes to that back to that old school Tenchi that we all love and grew up with on Tanami, as far as like, it has a lot of action in it, which I found surprisingly, you know, nostalgic just because lately Tenchi just hasn't been the same to me as it was. So going back to these comics, which I haven't read in a really long time, kind of freshened myself up on them recently for this podcast. It was nice to see everybody in action again and seeing the characters actually doing adventures again and going out into space and different planets and having a fight. Not one, but two big bad guys in this comic series. And it was just really fun to see everybody play their roles. And it was fun seeing Miyokio being Miyokio and, you know, Ryoko and Ayaka being themselves again. And it was just really nice. And I really think it did kind of hone in on the classic Tenchi Universe mood and feel. I find it interesting that, like you said, this was published in 97. Because at the time, the only things we had were the, the first two OVAs, we had Universe, and we had one movie. I don't think Daughter of Darkness had come out, nor Tenshi in Tokyo. So 
basically the only things they had to draw on for this. And it does feel very much like an extended arc of universe, especially because, as Snowy said, new planets, new villains and whatnot. And again, it just feels like good old-fashioned fun. None of that over-the-top backstory or all the other issues. It just, it felt like Tenchi. And I remember being disappointed with it when I first read it, but coming back to it after all these years, it's like, it felt like a breath of fresh air considering what the franchise has become. Much like Ahmed, I also read this, at least in my case, I read this, I think almost when it was first coming out, you know, in 97. And after that, it's been many, many years before I read it again this year. And at least for me, I enjoyed it when I was a kid. And then I kind of completely forgot about it. And now looking back at it, at it and reading it again, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually like so much more better than I remember. And I was actually happy that it was actually like good as opposed to like being like one of those normal like, oh, wow, this used to be good when I was a kid and now it's not. You know, the art is so much more better than I remembered as well, too. There are some nitpicks I have, uh, but like I'll probably it, uh, say them later as well. You know, with all the recent Tenchi materials that we've been getting, this does, again, like I agree with everybody, this feels like very much like a classic Tenchi adventure, you know, fresh, fresh air. And it's, I don't know, it's really nice to see characters uh, written in a way where they're very much believable, even though in this case, it's written from let's say, for lack of better phrasing, for an American angle, as opposed to like a Japanese uh, angle. I remember running across the scans of these back in the late 90s uh, when I was in college, and I remember enjoying them when I read them, not in any small part because my lady Nagi happens to be in this said comic, so that was one thing that drew, drew them to me immediately, is it had one of my favorite characters in it. But it also introduces a couple other new characters that are fresh for the series. You have the two villains, Dante Mix and Rob. You also have Demi, who's another Galaxy police officer. And it runs basically, as I said earlier, that it was much like a extended episode of Universe, which is very nice and very ple very pleasant to see. However, I remember distinctly when it first came out that several people poo-pooed it when it was out because it was a different art style. It's a very clearly a kind of DC or Marvel-styled uh, comic. It's black and white, much like TM Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when it first came out. There's a lot of sight gags and references to American and Western things like Star Trek or uh, even some other anime like Giant Robo and whatnot, it's it's got this nice little hodgepodge of things. It pulls from all the different continuities that existed at the time, OVA 1, OVA 2, and Universe. So visually, there's a lot of different aspects that are familiar to those who knew the show from its heyday back in the late 90s. But it's it's a nice little adventure. Some people, again, poo-pooed it for uh, retreading similar ground because some of the villains and some of the aspects of the story are very familiar and very reminiscent of classic Tenchi. But much like the uh, manga, the No Need for Tenchi manga, No Need for Tenchi first two story arcs were very similar to the OVA as well. Yakage and Minagi were very similar to Kagato and Ryoko in the first OVA. So retreading ground is not too unfamiliar for the series. And admittedly, this particular story just was fun. You get to see Ryoko being, being in action. You get to see Tenshi in action. She even gets to be uh, introspective a little bit and thinking about his own problems and what, what he actually has to do. You see Ayaka much more kind of regal until she gets her buttons pressed. And there actually is danger. There's conflict. People get, people get injured. People get hurt. People get, th get 
things done to them that they didn't want done to them. It's actually got conflict and action, and it's engrossing. I rather recommend the story. I not only think that it very much fits into the Tenchi style, but I think that it adds a whole nother dimension to Tenchi that I still fits with Tenchi. You know, the one thing, like Snowy had pointed out, was it's very action-y. Pacing is super quick because there's always something happening. And there is, uh, you know, a, quite a bit of dialogue, but there's a perfect mix of how much dialogue there is and action. There's space pirates, and there's aliens, and there's all these other things that you would think, oh, action, action, action. And that happens. There's actually action going on. And so that's a really... Uh, refreshing thing, like Ahmed said, you know, it's really refreshing to have there be real stakes and there be this classic Tenchi feel that comes out. As we, you know, talked about a little bit before the podcast started, it's obvious, and Pi, you know, had said a little bit about, it's obvious that the people who worked on this, Jose Calderon and Matt Lunsford, were fans of older anime. They weren't just fans of whatever anime was coming out in 97. You know, they had Giant Robo, and they had a Valkyrie from Macross, and, you know, they had very much been anime fans before working on this, so it wasn't just like they had given this to two guys. It wasn't like Pioneer just found two random guys and said, okay, here you go, make a Tenchi comic. You could tell that some love went into this. And, of course, the abundance of, you know, Western references as well, but they balance it really well with... Japanese references, and so I think it, it fits. It it has a place. Uh, and, you know, by the third volume in, I had started out a little bit trepidatiously, like I'm sure we all had, uh, especially if you were coming into it, you know, ah, it's a Western comic, but like I said, by the third volume, I was completely immersed. I could hear the characters' voices in my head, and my first thought when I hit volume five was damn, why hasn't this been animated? This is amazing. Like, this this should, this should, totally fits into Tenchi. But speaking of characters and new characters, the Pioneer comics introduced us to a number of new characters, like Inferno, Dante Mix, Rob, Tetan, and many more. Did you like them? Do you think they fit into Tenchi Muyo? Or are they too American or Western in style? I feel like they fit to a certain degree. I feel like I feel like there was like too much going on with like having all these characters all at one time in a short format that was the comic. Do they fit in? I I think Dante really fits in just because he kind of reminds me of like the two fools that hijacked Yugami in universe, and he's just kind of like. He's as smart as he is dumb. Like, he was smart enough to have the idea of fusing with Ryoko, but he was, like, too dumb as far as, like, pulling anything off rather than... I mean, he almost pulled it off, like, trying to blow up the planet with the ship and causing rampage, but he was just very childlike, and that's kind of what got him caught because he just wanted attention. So he was fun and all that. Rob, on the other hand, I didn't really... Does he fit? I mean, I, I guess like he's actually kind of intimidating in a really creepy way, just because he's just a guy that goes around killing like animals. Like he's a cat killer, cabot killer. Like he's very creepy and dark, and he's just very unsettling to me. I don't know if it's going that psychologically deep. It's like you never know who's 
around you that's really creepy and dark like you just never know that kind of thing so this postman is a sociopath psychopath going around killing cats very aggressively and like causing all this harm to people apparently it states he never killed anybody or anything but he's still killing animals that's really creepy and dark so i didn't really enjoy him that much like i kind of just wanted him to get his justified means like i just wanted to see him gone do they fit? Yeah, I, I would say yes to a certain degree, but they were a little westernized, but that's fine because it was a western comic, so. Well, I think the first thing I need to say, and this has been bugging me since I first read the book, a comic, Rob the Postman looks like the owl from Marvel's Daredevil. But yeah, it's like these characters are interesting. I mean, we got the new Galaxy Police agent, Demi, and the fact that her introduction is her Cabot being hunted. It's like, you know, again, one of the things I loved about Universe was the idea is that there was more than just Rio Oki for the Cabot race. Dante fascinates me because he repeatedly says he wants to be an A1 class criminal. And, well, we all know one A1 class criminal that was named in franchise, and that was Kane. So I find it hilarious he thinks he's on that level. Well, he's interesting, but, you know, he's basically like, you know, similar to the guys who jacked Yagami in that one episode of Universe. You know, just a punk that wants to be bigger. But Rob fascinates me because he's a postman, an intergalactic postman, who has apparently gone insane from boredom because he's taken to hunting Cabots. And the, the, the opening with him hunting Cabots just is really disturbing, especially because it's like, there's no reason for it. There's no justification other than he is bored. And the fact that he basically torments and hunts all these innocent people just to get to their precious spaceship cat rabbit pets. And he spends the whole book doing this aggressively just to kill Ryo Oki. It's just, there's something really odd and off-putting and somehow very funny. So yeah, it's like, they do feel like they belong in a sense, even though they came from a Western creator and everything else. They do feel like they would make sense, especially in Tenchi Universe itself. I can agree so far that, uh, at least with Dante, he really does fit in very well with uh, this comic and with the Tenchi Universe. I was also reminded of when, you know, in the first issue, for example, he has his girlfriend. My first thoughts were, wow, these designs look so like late 80s, early 90s. They could be plopped into Ova 1 and just not look out of place. But I was also reminded when I saw them together, I was also reminded of like those those hacks, crimin hacks from uh, from Universe, the ones who hijacked the Yagami. I was also reminded of them as well. So in, in a sense, I was actually kind of like sad that he didn't take his girlfriend along. I was like, oh, that could have been like a cute like criminal couple or something. But even so, Dante was like, uh, really, well, I enjoyed him a lot. It was actually nice seeing him like in jails, uh, and and the only thing he ever learned from the entire thing was like, you know what? I I should have like, I would have done this if I had known I'd gone to jail. Like that's how that's how stupid, <laughs> or maybe naive is is a word I want to say. Naive he was, but um, with Rob, I'm not sure how to feel about him because um. I had actually like read these issues like on and off like maybe two years ago when I was bringing them over from like my old house in Puerto Rico to my apartment in the U.S. 
And I remember when I was reading them, I was like, I really do like this Rob character. He seems too much like that typical dark age of comics, 90s characters who, who are just like, oh, so super cool. I have like this fame that for some reason imitates Wolverine sound effect. I'll sing it. And then I read them again, you know, uh, this week. And, and I was like, oh, he's not that bad of a character, actually. Or rather, he was a character in service of the story. So he wasn't too far off. But his uh, his reasoning is a little difficult to understand eventually because, yeah, he hunts cabins, but then near the end, we kind of don't know why he's hunting them. I mean, I guess we didn't need to know, sort of, I assume. But, yeah, it was one of those things where, like, he was built up so nicely, in a sense, and then kind of was, like, anticlimactic near the end. I was like, oh, okay, well, all righty, cool. Maybe in the sequel that never happened, we we saw what happened, we saw why. But um, I also just realized that you know Ahmed mentioned he was a postman, and I knew he was a postman in reading. But I was like, oh, that makes sense why he's like kind of like a little bored and and maybe just like had it with like everybody except for like Yosha, because my father worked as a postman. I was like, oh yeah, that makes entire sense. Of course, my father didn't go around killing animals so you know that's also another difference but yeah um i think that really the only character i was disappointed with didn't see more of was demi i thought she was just like a one-shot character and it turns out that um she wasn't she turned out really randomly near the end to the point where i was like well if if you're gonna be important in a sense of like you know hurrah uh, the calories coming you know and your cabot seems to be alive as far as i know because we see your ship again you know, then might maybe, you know, we could have known your name a little bit before as well. I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel more disappointed by Demi than by Rob or anybody else. As far as the characters go, I find that most of them fit into this, into this into the franchise as a whole pretty well. Rob is basically a galactic postman, as been has been mentioned before, which again kind of parallels the Galaxy Police. You'd think that if there's a galactic civilization, you'd have the usual kind of civil services. You have the the mail system. You have the you have the uh, emergency services like police and whatnot, and, and medics and whatnot. So that makes sense that something someone of that caliber would exist, and I think actually in the manga there is a uh, some galactic post that has to send a few things as well, but not focused on as heavily. Also, you have Demi. Turns out she's a Galaxy Police officer. In the first issue, you don't really notice that as much unless you pay really close attention to her attire because her sleeves in her uh, costume in the first uh, first issue are the same as Keone and Mahoshi's sleeves in their galaxy uh, uniforms. And then you don't see it, see Demi again until the last issue where she's in Mahoshi's combat outfit from uh, the OVA. And then you realize that don't, she's the one who actually arrests Rob and takes him in. Rob, on the other hand, himself, as far as the character's concerned, getting his motivation would have been much more, as Nan mentioned a moment ago, would have been much much more useful so that he can t- see why he's a threat, why is he going after Cabot's, what's his, what's his beef, uh, besides the fact that he seems to be bu- feeding them to his dog, Astaroth. And admittedly, I like the idea of Astaroth being essentially a dog version of a Cabot, which also I think this is the first official piece of media where a character actually refers to Ryuoki as a, quote, Cabot. That word is actually used for the first time, I think, in any official uh, medium. But the dog bit, if you will, Astroth, that the existence of such a creature or a creature that would feed upon Cabot's isn't too surprising. In the manga, in the second run in all new Tenshi Muyo, you have the 
creatures that actually fed on dry and trees. So having uh, extraterrestrial predators is not out, any kind of outlandish thing and actually has precedent in the Japanese medium as well. Then you have Dante Mix, who has been mentioned previous, is very similar to the two punks who stole Yagami, although with much more uh, large aspirations rather than just stealing a spaceship and becoming a gangster. Uh, instead, Dante Mix wants to become an A1 class criminal, basically on par with Kane. So he ends up basically hijacking a ship of Washu's and using a fusion technology to essentially fuse himself with Ryoko to become this, this superpowered being Inferno, which that's something that I didn't, didn't expect out of this comic was essentially to have a DBZ reference where you have two characters fusing into a new being. You still also see very briefly a fusion between Kione and Mahoshi. More on that later. Uh, but the fusion Inferno, Jesus, it's basically Ryoko dialed up to a million. And to see and to see a character like that in this, not out of place at all. I rather liked all of the new characters to different degrees. Demi, honestly, we didn't get to see much of her, and she kind of rolls in and steamrolls Rob at the very end, steals his glasses, and steals the win from Ryoko, Tenchi, and Nagi. And I'm a, I'm a little, little salty about that. Because I would have liked to see our main characters get the win at the end of the day, but it, it is what it is. Dante Mix, I love him. He's a lo he's a lovable boob. He's he's a he's a goon. He's just a a wannabe. And what can I say? I like characters who are bumbling idiots that happen to bumble into some into something cool. I like Jay and Silent Bob, and he reminds me a lot of Jay in a way. Inferno, seeing Ryoko literally dialed up to a million, I like that idea to having a space pirate who is a honest legitimate vicious threat but also and this might lead into a future podcast at some point the fact that their their fusion was unstable actually was very interesting uh before the podcast we were talking briefly about like voice actors for characters and how would you voice inferno and we were talking about well you could do it like dbz did with essentially one voice actor and one one speaker and another voice actor and a different speaker or you could have an entirely new voice actor like steven universe does it and when I read back and reread this comic, I immediately thought of Malachite from Steven Universe, which actually did a little bit of both. Steven Universe fusions usually just use a new, a new actor entirely. But for Malachite specifically, they used post-processing and the technique, the DBZ technique of having the two voice actors in two different channels. And for Inferno, specifically since she bounces back and forth between Dante's personality and Ryoko's personality trying to fight for control, I would have liked to have heard that and seen that animated. That would have been something really cool to see. As far as uh, Rob and his, and his dog bit, so to speak, again – Astaroth, I don't really have any trouble with. Uh, it's a predator that eats cabots. Uh, but Rob himself, again, more motivation would have been much, much more not, uh, nice to kind of describe him. You could have used used him in a way like falling down, where you have a a social a civil servant who is basically pushed to the brink and is suffered a psychotic break or you could have had one hour photo where you have a sociopath who is slowly escalating into a, a murderous person and that's something that actually is well known in psychology is that very often people who become killers and uh, have a have a tendency to uh basically kind of prototype that by attacking small animals and getting a get kind of a taste for blood in a sense and I, i'm not, not going to claim to be a psychologist but you see so, like echoes of that in rob's character but not taken quite to the uh full extent long story short i think this was a, a great basis and they could have built off of really rather well and maybe one day we'll actually see this animated or adapted into a, a animated medium 
my big fear, as we had talked about a little bit, you know, and even leading into the question, like it would being Western, when I had first heard about the Pioneer comics, and you see the covers very, very much, they definitely look like they're done by a Western artist in the 90s. And that is absolutely an unfair bias on my part, because I'm sure many anime fans, as Pia talked about, they kind of, eh, they kind of pushed away from it because there's a weird authenticity thing with anime fans where, you know, anything that's outside of Japan, they very much just won't touch or they don't view in the same light uh, because of a lack of exotic nature, which is a discussion for a whole nother time and a whole nother podcast. But suffice to say, I am very happy to eat crow on that one because I feel like all of the characters whether that's Dante, Demi, uh, and the myriad of background characters, like the uh, the guy who is the uh, Rob's boss. You know, like, it shows us all of these different aliens that I think, for the most part, fit very well into it. Because, again, you're in space. You're, it, the world is not just full of people who look like they're from Jirai. Like, it very much is a universe of characters out there, and I feel like it fit very well. All Almost all of them fit very well into the world. Uh, obviously, as has been said about every everybody has said, Dante being the gender bent version of Ryoko, I love him. He's perfect. He fits right in. Uh, in my head, as we talked about a little bit, and Pi had referenced, in my head, I could hear Dante as Ian Sinclair. For those of you who are fans of Space Dandy and One Piece, like I could hear it. I could hear Space Dandy's voice coming out of Dante, and that's when I knew. Immediately, that's when I knew he fit. Like, I didn't even have to think about it. I wasn't questioning it. I was like, he's got it. Totally, totally fits. Uh, Inferno was a really cool character who, again, as Pi had mentioned, the thing about Tenchi is that it has so many... It, it touches so many genres. Like, there is, there really isn't a genre that Tenchi doesn't touch, short of, you know, the, the violent 80s OVA. Like, it, it pretty much hits them all. And so there's, once you get a taste of that, it's like, well, what if Tenchi had a little bit more action? What if Tenchi was a little bit more like DBZ? They kind of go into that waters with this comic. And Inferno and by proxy Dante and all of them, you get to see a lot of that action. And you get to see the destructive power. Uh, and Inferno being the ratcheted up Ryoko was, was perfect. It was a fusion. How many? That's that's a that is a spot on DBZ style fusion, and I loved it. There wasn't there wasn't a moment on there wasn't a moment where Inferno was there where I didn't feel like ah yeah that's reaching too far. Astroth was another one who I I really thought is it is it a is it a dog bit is it a dog it is it a dobit? The world may never know, but. The dog version of a Cabot, I thought that was really great because, again, you have a whole universe of characters out there. Why wouldn't there be a dog version of a cat-rabbit fusion? Why only a cat-rabbit fusion? Why not a dog-rabbit fusion? And so, you know, Astaroth kind of working in the same way, but instead of being a crystal, he's like a circle or a sphere. Uh, Really cool. I liked it. It was a nice... Aha, they're really using their brains. They're really trying to flesh out. They're, tr- they're trying to push the boundaries of the universe that they have been given, uh, that's been established. Uh, Rob, 
I feel like, like I said, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I feel like Rob, ironically, is, I don't want to say he doesn't fit, but it's kind of a stretch. Like, he's the only one that I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one. Because the stuff that he does, I feel is very, it works for Tenchi because you've got bounty hunters and, you know, Dante wants to be the greatest. He wants to be an A1 class criminal. But I feel like Rob is too Western. Like, I feel like he, looking at Rob and looking how he acts, it's very flat. It's It's got that kind, like, when, it, when I, it, honestly, it reminds me of X-Men comics from the 90s. That I would see, like it, it just it has he he very much is coming from a different place, I think. Whereas Demi and Dante, all of them, they I felt like they had kind of had the idea of Tenshi, whereas Rob was, I felt like he was coming from a different place. And I mean, uh, like Ahmed said earlier, he might be, you know, their take on Daredevil. There we go. Yeah, I was like, I he might be a take on that because he has at least to me because he has he just feels too different. But overall. I think the majority of them fit very well. I think Jose and Matt did a pretty good job of integrating them into the world. Well, now that we've, you know, said our our piece on whether or not we think it fits and fits into Tenchi, let's talk about our favorite and least favorite moments. That's hard because, like, I just flushed, I just kind of finished it recently, like, actually last night. So, it's still, it's just should be fresh in my mind i read it years ago too and i would say like my different my favorite moments now don't reflect my favorite moments then because i kind of see the things in a different way but i would say well my favorite moment is just to see everybody again acting like themselves and not sitting around a house doing nothing i'll actually start with my least favorite my least favorite that's this is just me you know you know, just being nitpicky about my favorite character. I mean, Ryoko was supposed to be like this kind, this big bad criminal that survived through it all, but she's getting her ass kicked by this guy, this postal man. And I just, I mean, I see it because he's supposed to be some crazy deranged dude deep down, but like, I just, I don't know. I just didn't like the fact that she got her ass handed to him so easily, you know? I mean, that's not the right way to phrase it, but. It just, I don't know, it just made him too overpowered, it made her too underpowered, and then she got taken away by Dante so easily, and I don't know, I mean, Inferno is very fun, yes, I like I like the design of Inferno, and I like that plot, but it just, I don't know, I just feel like it happened too easily, and I feel like she's supposed to be this big threat to everybody, but she just gets, you know, roped up in everybody's crap way too easily, but maybe that's just like a personal inkling that i have but that would say that'd be my least favorite part of it all but my favorite parts i guess would be um like all the mio kio parts surprisingly just because i like seeing them again having their own little antics mihoshi being mihoshi kione being kione the fusion part was really funny just seeing it was really creepy but it was really funny to see and then you know i kind of being pushed around by washu even though she's supposed to be this princess you know and it's just fun to see everybody just kind of being themselves again and just going on this different planet causing hell on this different planet the moment they arrive and then you know just typical tenchi old school tenchi fashion you know just kind of had this big adventure seeing tenchi actually kicking some ass 
and you know Yosho being there kind of guiding him through without actually you know handing it to him and having him figure out for himself and then you know I mean I I wish Tenchi would have been the one to save the day not the space officer like you said like someone said before but other than that yeah I would say those are my favorite moments I do agree that the best parts are when the Tenchi gang are being the Tenchi gang. The, Ryo Kaneko are bickering. Sasami is being her usual sweet self. Tenchi actually manages to do something, which we haven't seen him do in a while in more modern series other than I. I do find it funny, though. I think it's actually a very funny joke that Tenchi wasn't the one who finished the guy off at the end because the whole title is still Tenchi Muyo. So no need for Tenchi at this point. Yeah, the best parts are with the characters being themselves and just seeing them fight and you know interact. Washu's being completely and utterly in mad scientist mode through most of the story because she's high on her own ego regarding Dante's ship. Um, you know, Shankyone getting into shenanigans. I mean, during the final battle, we actually see Ryoko do something I've never seen her do, which is dual wield her energy swords, which was a really nice bit. And for parts I didn't like, I do agree with Snowy regarding Ryoko basically getting the wharf effect, you know, from Star Trek, where the new bad guy shows how bad they are by beating the toughest person in the ship, which is usually wharf. So, you know, seeing that happen to Ryoko, which basically started becoming her job when Kajishima was doing the OVAs. The one part that always stuck with me, even from when I read it years ago, that always bugged me, was the, the whole subplot regarding Sasami's package the uh the package that brings rob to them that keeps getting shifted around constantly throughout all the issues and at the end it turns out the whole point was that it causes this chaos in order to be delicious and they're literally called MacGuffins. it's like that is just a long send-up for a really really silly joke it's kind of hard for me to decide on a favorite part because while there were like snippets that i liked i kind of felt the opposite that Ahmed does about the MacGuffin, I actually thought that was kind of like, not necessarily genius level, but it was like, oh my god, they they use like a, 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 a plot device and actually made a thing out of it. Oh my god, this is hilarious and kind of awesome. You know, I actually like that part a lot because it, the package was literally a MacGuffin because it was like the thing that the plot didn't really care about it. It was just like there in the background. And then at the end, it's like, oh, hey, here you go. You know, I kind of liked it from like a storytelling perspective. But, um, you know, so it's like snippets of that that I really liked about the comic. Not so much moments or not. You know, there are a lot of like silly gags. Like, for example, um, I think it's issue two or three. There's this one panel where Mihoshi is just kind of like rambling and, and about whatever. And Kione, Ayeka, and Tenchi are just staring at her like, what in the world are you talking about? And above it, there's like this random cow that comes out. And it honestly reminded me of like shows like, I guess Rumiko Takahashi does a lot of like those like visual comedic gags, you know, and I really like those. I guess if I really had to pick a moment, the one where I was just like, oh man, wait, wait, I got to read it. I got to keep reading it. You know, in terms of like reading it recently, it was like the fight between Ryoko and Rob. You know, um, obviously, you know, it's a little, you kind of have to stretch of like, how is it that Ryoko isn't exactly like beating this guy immediately or winning immediately in this fight against Rob? But even then, the way, for me at least, the way it was paced, uh, uh, paced and um, 
set up, it was actually really nice because obviously, you know, there's like that climax where she punched him. Uh, I'm sorry. And he, even Rob is like, oh my God, this is it. This is the end of me. And there's this big explosion. And we see it's like, oh, no, never mind. Ryoko missed. And I just thought that was, that was just like, oh, no. You know? I don't know. I kind of like that setup. But I, I'm not sure if I like it because for me, it just seems like very much an American thing to do. Like that sort of like, you know, uh, Asian switch, I think it's called. I'm not sure. Uh, I probably might be the only one who doesn't mind how the the general last issue ended. In terms of like, it, it wasn't Tenchi and the gang who got the win. It was Demi. That that just reminded me in terms of like the the screwball comedies or like this these adventure movies where it's just some random guy who 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 a random woman or person or whoever who kind of like actually ends up solving the mystery or whatever and our hair is just standing there like wait what just happened i don't know i'm going home it kind of reminded me of like those movies and i actually like the way it ended obviously because it's tenchi it feels wrong but oh well as for least favorite this really struck out uh almost immediately and i think it's because in recent years i kind of taken a liking more to ayeka i did like that uh, Jose Calderon didn't really think of any other insult other than beast for for Ayeka to use against Ryoko. And the first time I was like, oh wow, I can actually hear like you know like her voice in my head saying that because it, it does sound like a thing she would say to Ryoko eventually. But then the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and I think maybe it was the fifth or sixth time, and I was just like. You know, Ayeka is pretty witty when it comes to insulting Ryoko when she gets into it. You know, she knows more words other than beast. So um, the one thing I really didn't like that kept distracting me, the lettering. So for those of you who are kind of like around in the early days of like uh, comics being translated, uh, being translated into like English, like say Dragon Ball, a lot of like biz comics, early biz comics, when they actually had like a imprint called biz comics, they used to use a font called uh, Whizbang. It's still available. You can get it for thirty-five dollars uh, for both Windows and Mac and anything like that. And the reason why I say that is because I use it in one of my comics because I really liked it. But that's the font that's been used in this comic. And I'm, I think it might be like a personal favorite of the of the writer of Jose, because he has a webcomic called All Tales, I believe it is, and he also uses it in that comic as well. Although the the artist for that comic says that she uses it, so I don't know. But anyway, tangent aside, the reason why I mention that is because I assume that's why they're using it in this comic because it was one of like those like classic. Uh, English translated fonts back in the day, but I don't like how it's used here in the sense that like you can tell whoever lettered this comic did not know how to <laughs> letter in general. Like maybe this was their first comic doing it. I don't know if there's like a proper credit for letterer. I don't remember, but there's just like some panels where the lettering instead of like being centered like normal, it's pasted on on the page and it, it's it's angled as if the person didn't glue it on right because back in the old days sorry i have to explain so much about this but back in the old days you know when there weren't any computers 
uh, dialogue and sound effects and all that usually used to have to be pasted on the actual art, on the actual comic page. Uh, they would use something called, uh, I think it was um, Bellum Overlay. I um, probably got the name right, but it's this material that you use for lettering, and you paste it on the comic page, and bada bing, bada boom, you have a finished comic page with everything on it. So I assume because this comic was made in 1997, that was the method they used, even though Whizbang was uh, promoting itself as a computer font. In other words, a font to be used when you put letter uh, digitally. You know, which is the norm now. And so I don't know if they did it like hybrid, like half traditional and half computer, or if they just like printed out the pieces of the dialogue and then pasted that on the page, which is also another method that was used, I believe. I, I, I think some manga actually were made and are still made like that. Like, you know, you print out the dialogue and you paste it on the art. But you can definitely tell, like, there are parts of it where it's just like, okay, this is horrendous placing, this is horrendous lettering, you know. The, the bubbles sometimes are just like squeezing the letter so much that there's no space around it, you know. But on the other hand, the sound effects in this comic are really fantastic. So, you know, I guess there's like a... To, to be able to have fantastic sound effects, you must have sacrificed the lettering. <laughs> as far as my favorite moments and least favorite moments in this i'll go ahead and say the favorite moments are probably too numerous to mention because i love the fact that there was lots of action in this comic there was a lot of uh actual danger of characters actually getting in getting injured or killed and they were actually rob was actually targeting ryuoki to feed to his dog basically um there it actually had some had some stakes in it which is something that i've sorely missed from this particular franchise um I I love the fact that Nagi was in it, which who's one of my favorite characters. You get to see her beat up several guys in a bar, and then she teams up with the team at the end, and even fights side by side with Ryoko and Tenchi against Rob in his, in his final mech, mech armor. Um, I love seeing her in action again, and not used, uh, not completely used as a sight gag, or is just a a kind of key jangling moment of, hey, you remember this character from such and such, right? Um, I love also that the most of the characters were in their were in their personalities just just about the entire time. Mahoshi and Kioni get to have their hijinks. I, Ryoko and I could get to get to bicker and uh, fight over Tenshi. And there, there there's a lot of good a lot of good in this comic. I will say, uh, much like some, several others have said at this point, uh, that there were some places where they could have done a little bit more with uh, delving into why certain things happened and essentially. Uh, try to avoid cer certain particular tropes like throw say for example warfing ryoko throwing her at the big bad to show how how badass he is um now fortunately at the end she does get to make up for it by dual wielding her swords which is something i also really uh, also noticed and really enjoyed as well was the fact that uh she doesn't have to do just a single sword she could do two and be a much much more formidable adversary um same thing with seeing uh, all three of Tenchi, Tenchi Ryoko and I, uh, Nagi fighting fighting the villain. We get to see, get to see them actually work by uh, essentially taking advantage of uh, multiple uh, multiple adversaries. I do agree that they should that there should have been more reason as to why Rob was able to 
take down a space pirate on the caliber of Ryoko, especially since Dante himself actually builds Ryoko up as being this big pinnacle that he wants to be like her. He wants to take her powers. He wants to um, subsume her role, basically. Um, and then you see her essentially get kicked around by a postman who has uh, basically some secondary military gear, which where the hell did he get that stuff anyway? I don't think that's ever, ever actually discussed as to where he gets the stuff that's on par with stuff that galaxy police don't even seem to have ac direct access to. As far as Dante's concerned, I love, love a, a gullible boob like him. I am curious as to where he found the Armageddon quest, the actual ship itself, and how he got his got his hands on Washu's tech, uh, tech to do the fusions and whatnot. I'm that would have been something I would have liked to see in like a second run, or maybe maybe even an offhand uh, reference by Washu as to, or by someone, or like Keone or Mahoshi as to where Dante could have gotten his hands on this ship. Um, because that's really the big thing that that made him formidable was he was able to have that technology, presumably the technology he used to wrap up Mahoshi and later Ryoko to keep keep them from interfering with his plans and to keep Ryoko pacified long enough for him to actually use the fusion machine on her. Um, that was presumably Washu's tech technology as well, meaning that it possibly could have been why uh, she was able to be subdued so easily. But... Uh, some some words or some explanation would have been nice. That was the main thing, main problems I had with it. Otherwise, it's basically a serviceable story. And again, if you get it, get a chance, take a read of it. So I was kind of in the same vein as Non, and that I didn't. I had some favorite moments, but they weren't. I don't. There, and I guess like Pi, I had a just anything that made me giggle or smile. That's something that I just kind of locked away in my head. So one of my one that was just kind of funny to me, and I don't, I don't know if anybody else felt this way, but in the first issue, uh, Tenchi kind of plays it off normally that Aika is baking a cake for dinner. Like, I know that sounds not that big of a deal, but it's just like, oh, hey, Aika, thanks for baking a cake. And it's like, oh, yeah, Aika can't cook, so she's baking a cake for dinner. And Tenchi's just kind of like, bless your heart. Like, that's just kind of the vibe that I got from it. I thought it was kind of funny. Like, oh, she doesn't know Earth Custom. She's baking a cake for dinner. Like, you know? I don't know why, that just made me giggle a lot. Uh, the banter between Ryoko and Aiko was on point throughout the whole thing. I mean, they... And it weirdly, yeah, like, Ryoko always had the upper hand. Like, every time they would go back and forth, Aiko never won. Like, Aiko never had her ah-ha-ha moment. It was always Ryoko. Like, uh, there's, a poem, there's a moment where... Aika and Ryoko are fighting, I think, in the first issue, and Aika's like, don't you have something to do? And Ryoko's immediately like, I'm doing it right now. And it just, it just, it was perfect banter. And then, uh, you, you kind of take it for granted, like people have referenced before, like, you're so used to the hilariously stupid absurdity of the OVA now that you get a little bit of realness, and you get a little bit of a breath of fresh air, and it's just like, wow, even the little things... Uh, mean a lot, but you know, talking about realness, like another moment that really just kind of, kind of stood out for me was when Mihoshi and Kione are chasing Rob, and Mihoshi goes because Kione immediately pulls off the thrusters, and Mihoshi's like, "Why'd you stop going at? Why'd you why'd you turn off the thrusters?" And Kione looks at her, and goes, "Have you ever tried giving a ticket to a postal worker? Well, we'll never get our mail again if you try." And then she goes into this huge. 
this one-page thing where she's basically like, the unions would crap on us, we'd never get our mail, if we're lucky, they have really good lawyers, we'd lose anyway. And it was this moment where it's like, yeah, that's right, the Masaki household doesn't just win every time. Like, there's a realness to the universe. Like, we're, we're not the center of the universe. If we pull over a postal worker, we're fucked. We're never getting our mail again. So I just, that was, that was really cool. I really liked how blunt that was. You know, another one is, uh, there's another little Ryoko and Aika thing I really liked where, uh, Aika says, Ryoko, you beast, control yourself. And Ryoko quips back, you go control yourself. I'm doing just fine. And Tenchi, when she's grabbing Tenchi and doing that, he actually looks like he's excited, like, which is really weird because it's like, oh, I'm actually getting to see this. Uh, and then... As they're pulling him away, Tenchi says, One day I will have to choose. Yes, you will, boy. You will have to choose one day. <laughs> and uh, so that was just really refreshing. Uh, issue four, Fujisawa is the bartender talking to Nagi. If you know who El Hazard, or know what El Hazard is, Fujisawa is the man. And I can hear Michael Sorich talking in that voice. He's the, vo the English voice of Fujisawa. And... It just kind of, it made an impression on me because it's like anybody who's ever watched El Hazard, they fall in love with Fujisawa. So they want to put him in everything. He was in Tokyo. Uh, obviously, he's in this comic. So there's very much a, there's the, he's the man. Like you, you see him and that was really cool. I really like in issue five, one, where Ryooki actually shows some love for Ryoko as they kind of meet back up because you don't really see that a lot like they show it they show it way more in universe but it kind of gets glossed over like that they they're a unit everybody just kind of puts Sasami and Ryooki together it's like no Ryoko and Ryooki they have some they, they love each other you know it's like it's real uh and so that was that was kind of nice that was really heartwarming it's like yeah they're not Ryoko is not heartless like she cares about Ryooki and the other one, the other one that I really loved, that they did a little bit beforehand when we're talking with Dante and he shoots out his his one-time lover out into the universe as he's going after Ryoko, was when Inferno kisses Tenchi. And I was just like, let's go! This is happening! Like, the absolute mad lads who made this, Jose and Matt, they were just like, no, we're doing this. We're just gonna, we're just gonna throw it in there. And I felt, and <laughs> Aika's reaction... To it was great, of course, but it's like, man, you, you, as a Tenchi fan, and as, especially someone who's super into Ryoko, it's like, even though it's Inferno and it's not technically Ryoko, I'll take it. I'll take it. That, I'll, that, I'll take it. And then, of course, you know, I know the MacGuffin at the very end has been very much a, a half and half here a little bit, but I loved it. I thought it was, like, nonsense. I thought it was very much a, though, it, Having a MacGuffin and then actually having the end be a MacGuffin, I felt like that fit for Sasami because Sasami's always baking and this whole thing was, and you know, the way she plays it up. And it has that, it ends this comic on a feel-good note, which is something that doesn't happen a lot in Tenchi. Like, ha it really has a, everybody's at the pool or whatever, and they're having a good time. And oh, by the way, here's muffins and they're great. And so it was, I thought that was a nice moment to end on. And with that... We're opening it up to general discussion. Anybody can talk about whatever. The floor is open. So did anyone catch that Harley Quinn is in the jail cell with Dante at the end? Or is that just me? Oh, yes. I saw Harley sitting there. And she's just looking yeah. at Dante going, shut up. <laughs> and then there's Min Mei. Like, Lin Min Mei shows up 
as a giant headed as a big newscaster head on the screen when they're warning everyone that oh a ship's about to crash into our space station it's like why are you here how did you get well there's a lot of side gags in this in particular there's a reference to star trek when uh they're basically saying it doesn't work like it does on uh tv shows and whatnot and so they have star have essentially the starship enterprise and uh Lacutus of Borg, as well as you have uh, Spock, basically sitting there, and they and they, it has Spock say "Nanu Nanu," which is actually my favorite Martian, not uh, Star Trek. Uh, they also have, oddly enough, the Batman symbol as a falling leaf in in issue two. If you look really, really closely, and it's like, I see what you did there. They they pulled from so many different references. They pulled from OVA one, OVA two, and universe for the storyline and the art direct and the main art style. But as far as like background characters and and background things, they stole from anime and uh, western uh, western uh, pop culture. They stole from everything, and it's just I I love the aesthetic of this comic. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned the art style from OVA because I remember when I was reading this, like I kept thinking, why is Mihoshi in her battle outfit the entire time? And later, it's like, and here we have Tenchi in his dry armor and. The sword has the gems in it. It's like, what universe are we in? Which I think might be one reason I had an issue when I was younger when I was reading this. I mean, at this point, I'm just enjoying the fun story, but I guess I just remember it bugging me a lot more when I was first reading it. Kiyomi is in her Galaxy Plates outfit from Mihoshi Special, which was, I think, like you, Ahmed, I, I read it. Except in my case, I didn't even notice the details when I read it as a kid. I was like, yay, more tension. But now it's like, oh, wow, there is a lot of detail. It's what universe are we in? Because Keone's here, but Grandpa's being called Yosho. And then Tenchi's in Jirai. But then, wait, why? You know, they really did take like a lot from from everywhere. And, you know, to add to like the list, the mini list that uh, Pi uh, mentioned about the references. If there's a blink, and you will definitely miss it. A reference to like the multiple Earths from Marvel. In this case, Earth six one six, which is the address that Sasami put down <laughs> on her package on the MacGuffin package. So it's like, oh sweet, <laughs> it's official. It's in the Marvel universe. That, that means that we can have Tenshi. Yes, a Disney princess and in the MCU all along. Or or, or maybe not, because the MCU is actually based on Ultimates. But, you know, I mean, a person could dream. We all could dream about a lot of things regarding the franchise at this point. Can we we also talk about how Purity is basically the Death Star? Oh, Oh, yeah. And I also, it was just a funny moment, like Ahmed was saying, when everybody is... Like, you have Minmay up there going, everything is alright, guys. Make sure you get to the thing. Oh, by the way, if you're still stuck on the ship and can't get off, check out our humongous blaster cannons that we have shooting at the object that surely won't destroy us all. And then I just, I like how everybody's like, oh my god, we gotta get the fuck out. And then the last line that she says, she says, and just remember, be free and wild at purity, where all dreams come true and all dreams are reality. And I'm like, man, if only. Yeah. <laughs> The short thing I was going to say, uh, it, unfortunately, in the panel, it got caught off, and I assume they just put it there as a, like, uh, as a additional joke, but in that same, like, mid-may page, like, the, the sign above her says, you're going to die, 
like you can see the DNI and you kind of assume it has to be die because obviously everybody's panicking about, oh my God, are we going to die or are we going to live? But I kind of, I kind of wonder if it says you're not going to die or you're going to die, hurry up quick. Uh, but the other thing about Mima is that if I, it was funny because in macros, she's kind of like the one who has to calm down everybody and here she's like trying to calm down everybody and it's not working. I also really like something else that I noticed with the covers of the books that on the last cover everybody's in like skimpy attire or lingerie and sasami is in just a really big shirt that has a heart over tenchi i'm like thank you thank you for not doing that to sasami thank god (laughs) really the savior of our times one other thing i wanted to and then i'll let everybody else say was pi brought up the doom on the monitor uh that was pretty cool uh but also (laughs) the final fight where Yosho is, ba- you know, Grandpa Katsuhito is like trying to help Tenchi. That was really cool, but then I like how Tenchi, he goes, Tenchi, look over there. There's a mark on his thing. And he's, he's like, oh, thanks, Grandpa. And they go up and do it and beat him. And then Tenchi's like, wow, Grandpa, how did you know? He's he's like, wait a minute. He's like, oh, well, he's blah, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Grandpa, did you drug his tea? And. <laughs> Yosho's like, no, that would have been rude. Besides, it didn't come up at the time. And I was just like, fuck, that's hilarious. <laughs> I just love how Yosho and Nobuyuki are in this comic. They're just like the little Greek choir amused at everything that's happening for once. Speaking of art style and this partic- for this particular comic, uh, one thing I really liked about the art style, about anytime anyone used energy, use any kind of energy bolts like Ryoko like Ryoko using her swords and whatnot there was a noticeable Kirby crackle to it which is something you see in Marvel uh, in Marvel comics particularly with the co- with the cosmic characters and I saw that and I was like that's just two pieces of nostalgia at one time Tenchi characters with Kirby crackle and their energy and that just makes me feel good Disney can we uh, can we talk about having you buy Tenchi Muyo and making this your first adaptation? Or just by AIC. Or, or that too, because I'd love to see me some Avengers Endgame style stuff with El Hazard and all the other bubblegum crisis. Wait, wait, would that make Ayaka and Sasami Disney princesses? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, it would. You already are. <laughs> I was just, I just been sitting here thinking about it, and I just thought of another moment that I liked in the comic, and it's kind of like, kind of the old school OVA one kind of like Washu kind of trolling Ryoko and I feel like she's the only person that's allowed to do that but when you know then they separate Inferno she turns her into peaches and then um and then you know turns her back to normal and then Mihoshi's like I didn't know Ryoko was a peach I'm hungry now and instead of Ryoko being worried about what just happened to her she's more worried about Mihoshi and looking at her like keep Mihoshi away from me like, I just thought that was, like, really, like... Oh, I God, I forgot that, that part. <laughs> <laughs> I always loved uh, Ryoko and Mihoshi just kind of being, like, the best buddies, like, secret best buddies or something. And I just thought that was just really cute and just kind of, like, Ryoko just being like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> the time frame this came out in was, like, it was 97. And, like, like I mentioned earlier, like, Daughter of Darkness, I don't think, came out in theaters in Japan yet. And and Tenchi in Tokyo had not hit TV yet, so the fact that this is what they managed to put together just from Universe and OVA 1 and 2 and possibly Movie 1 
it just makes me wonder, like, if they actually tried this after Daughter of Darkness or Tension Tokyo had been released in the States, do you think it would have been better or they did it at the right time so it didn't get too confused? I think it's probably better just because they already stuffed. They stuffed a ton into it already. And I feel like if they would have tried to incorporate Tokyo and uh, A Daughter of Darkness, I think it would have probably just muddied it a little bit more because they would have absolutely included stuff from them. You know, I think they definitely had enough where they could make some sort of story out of it. And I wonder if they had enough material for a sequel as well because on the Deviant Art of the Artist of Matt Lunsford, you know, people are asking him about, like, you know, what was it like to work on this comic and stuff like that, you know, and he mentioned that it was pretty awesome, the pay was great, but they actually, he and Jose had actually planned to do a sequel to the comic because it had sold so well for Pioneer Comics that Pioneer Comics would say, okay, well, we're, we're going to do this again and we'd like you guys to do it. But the problem was that I think it was the person who was in charge of, like, the 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 imprint of pioneer comics you know that they published like also hell hazard and phantom quest corp and moldire just ran off with the money that was allotted for for the budget for these scenes and then they were like well we can't do anything so might as well just just leave it there so who knows uh it would be nice to ask them someday like what were their general ideas for the sequel because i believe they said that it was going to continue on a certain point based on from this comic so i don't know but yeah i think i think yeah i think this is this is fine as it is because definitely there would have been a lot more overloaded story if it had been done like after everything else had come out like even after tenshi forever that would have been like oh boy i just remembered something i could that i should have probably mentioned in one of my favorite the parts i liked it's when Keone decides to show Tenshi where the guns are for the sh- for Yagami. And I just thought, we're really going to let Tenshi start shooting things. And then later, it turns out he's doing a fairly decent job of it, even though it's not really stopping Dante's ship. But it's like, Tenshi shooting guns just feels very weird, and yet hilarious to me for some reason. Admittedly, I think that was a playoff of uh, this of Star Wars, actually, where Luke yeah. has to use the uh, use the guns on the uh, Millennium Falcon. In fact, I think the guns are modeled very similarly to the Millennium Falcons. And the, well, to me, the console reminded me more of the console from the last Starfighter movie. Anyone ever see that movie? Oh yeah, I love that movie. But I will say this, and th- and since you br- brought it out, Ahmed, I actually really, really want to emphasize this. This comic actually gets to show Tenchi being competent and actually being a char- being a character, as opposed to just a essentially a cipher for the reader to put them put themselves into his place he actually gets to uh interact with the girls he actually has a personality of his own he actually gets to make his own decisions he actually gets to do stuff and and have a win every once in a while he's not just kind of backgrounded so basically like tension universe is it fair to say that my opinion of this has gotten better simply after the fact of OVA3 and everything that's followed from that period on with Kajishima? Not to be a hipster or anything, but I actually liked the comic when I first read it back in the 90s, but that's just... 
insane, to be honest. <laughs> I guess my last thought would be, uh, and it just occurred to me, to be honest, but I, I just realized, I wonder where the rights for this lie for the comic and honestly for every single thing that was produced for the through the pioneer comic line i wonder where the light uh the rights lie that maybe some they, they could be reprinted or even promoted as like hey guess what we did this thing back in the 90s uh here you go digital comic or whatnot because i i it would be interesting to see like the reaction of the modern fandom both you know for other anime fans and both for Tenchi, you know, half old, half new, to see their reaction to this because, uh, you know, Tenchi in Tokyo, for reasons I will never probably understand, even though I know why, you know, Tenchi in Tokyo, when first hit arrival and almost everybody hated it because, you know, oh, Sakia, oh, no, Tenchi actually chooses, oh, no, blah, 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 you know, and now people are looking at it and going, oh, hey, this wasn't that bad, actually, or, you know, newer fans are going, oh, hey, this is pretty good, this is, this is good Tenchi, you know, I wonder if something like that can happen for the comic as well, you know, that as uh, Pi said, that I never knew, and I wouldn't be surprised because I didn't really speak to any other fans at the time when I read it. But that you know, the comic was so disliked when when it came out, even though it sold well, apparently. But it would be interesting to see if the same thing happens for this comic, and you know, maybe see it reprinted with better colors and, and nicer paper and whatnot, because, you know, if Robotech can be reprinted again in nice collections, you know, you would think something like Tenchi could have a chance at that. But, yeah. If the uh, if the right situation is any... Well, I mean, Pioneer produced it. They were the publisher. So, if the right situation is anything like it was with the DVDs and everything else, once Pioneer left... All of those rights reverted back to Pioneer Japan, which then became Genion, which then became NBC Universal. So I'm sure somewhere in Japan, uh, NBC Universal has a paper that says that they own the rights to the U.S. comic. But until then, as we do, thanks everyone for joining us for TenshiCast today. If you've liked what you've heard today, you can join in the discussion too on our Discord server. Check the link below for an invite and more info. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, and all over social media. And you can follow this podcast on all major podcast places, Stitcher, Google Play Podcast, iTunes, and Spotify. Until next time, stay gold. Stay gold.